I have a word that's part of what you, your statement was love. The three things that you had, the love was the first one, the second one was growth and reach. Love, growth, and reach. Now, Father, I do thank you for your loving kindness. I do thank you for your tender mercies. I rejoice to see what you are doing in this part of your vineyard. I celebrate the vision. Lord, I am excited. I know, God, that we're going to continually hear good reports. There will be a demonstration of love. There will be growth that will be accelerated. And there will be reaching out to the whole of the city. I bless you, Lord. I pray that this word of exhortation would touch the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I am somehow feeling like I am preaching to the choir. The atmosphere is permeating with love and acceptance. And so it's always good to preach the gospel in season and out of season. But this word does not seem to apply to you because there is so much warmth from the time I entered into the auditorium. There were people greeting us and making us feel at home. When I started out in the ministry <clears throat> as a young man, I had different goals and different aspirations. One of the things that I loved to see was a demonstration of power. I would fast and pray and seek the face of God, and God honored our efforts because such kind comes out by prayer and fasting. And so that was the goal in my ministry, to see signs and wonders take place. That was my oxygen bottle. I lived to see the next demonstration of the power of God. And so I, I made that my goal, but in recent years, my focus has slightly shifted. And I'd like to share with you part of my journey in the shift. Hallelujah. So I asked myself, what kind of a church would I like to be a part of? If I were to relocate to Cape Town or to Pretoria or to any part of the world, it's imperative that you find a fellowship. And so what would you look for? First thing I said, I'd look for the place where the power of God is evident. Signs and wonders. But what happens after everyone that needed a miracle has received a miracle? Amen. So I found myself wanting in my quest. And so I made a list of what I would look for in the church. Many of those things are found in this place. The first thing is that Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. The Lordship of Jesus 
is supreme. It's number one. There is no second or third. He takes up the whole horizon. He is Lord of all. Every knee shall bow before him. Every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. We give him glory from the time we rise. We give him glory when we close our eyes at night. He's the center of our existence. In him we live and move and have our being. There is no second place with him. He is the truth, the way, and the life. Without the truth, there's no knowing. Without the life, there's no living. Without the way, there's no going. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. That would be the main emphasis. If we don't have the others, they will come, but he will be Lord. And then it will have to be an apostolic house of which this house is. There's an apostolic anointing upon this house. Sometimes it's the people that are uh, familiar with the atmosphere that don't understand and appreciate the atmosphere. This is an apostolic house. This is not a normal church. This is an apostolic house. Hallelujah. Because your, your fruit testify that this is an apostolic house. And being an apostolic house... I'd like to be part of the fivefold ministry. We'll find an expression in that house. And so knowing the activities of this house and presbyteries and all the different things that take place, you give expression to all the aspects of the ministry. Hallelujah. Then thirdly, I would like the gifts of the Spirit to be uh, just flowing so freely in the house because without the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost doesn't have liberty to move and and so we thank God for that. And I have been a beneficiary of the gifts of the Spirit that are operative in this house. Some of the prophetic words that I received here, hallelujah, has been a, 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 a compass for me and a source of encouragement for me. So I celebrate that. And so it has to be a house that has evangelism on its, on its heart. And so you're reaching out. That tells me that evangelism is core in your belief system. Also, it must be a giving church, and this is a giving church. Hallelujah. I want to commend every one of you. God is not unrighteous to forget your love and labor. You have sown, not sparingly, but you have sown bountifully, and God bless you. Because the Bible says, if you give, it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. Promotion is on the horizon. Hallelujah. Opportunities for increase is around the corner. I just see blessing because of your sowing. The law of sowing and reaping will be perfected in this house because you sow, you shall reap. Hallelujah. And then I'd love to have a church that is really keen as far as organization and administration and everything else and Man, you guys are jacked up. Hallelujah. All the apps that you need can be found in this house. Hallelujah. And so all the things that need to make a church successful, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But now, if I'm looking for the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we may not have the others in the list that I have enumerated, apostolic, prophetic, etc. And... Uh, but after the Lordship of Jesus Christ, 
I'm looking for a fellowship of friends. A house that would be a fellowship of friends under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The ministries can develop. The perfecting and the exercising and the demonstration of the gifts that can also be part of the process. But the church must be a fellowship of friends under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As I said, originally I'm feeling like I'm preaching to the choir because that's your main point, love. Amen. But I was, several years ago I was taken aback. I was invited to preach at a large Assemblies of God's church in Cape Town and my wife was with me. And we had one of those special moments of a manifestation of the power of God. If the only way to be able to help people to appreciate the visitation was to have the service videoed or recorded, because if you explain it to them without them seeing it, they wouldn't believe the manifestation of power. As we were in the presence of God, people were being called out right at the back, and they were being slain, and just this one, and elders, and the pastors, and the place was jam-packed. And it was just an awesome meeting. I said, Lord, this is, this is, this is wonderful. This is glorious. This is what it's all about. And, and so I was excited. I jumped in the car and we're driving off to our residence for the night. And I turned to my wife and I said to her, wow, wasn't that a powerful meeting? And she said to me, she didn't enjoy the meeting. I said, no, I didn't say it out loud, but I said it in my mind. I said, no, what devil is this? <laughs> How can you not enjoy a meeting when the power of God is evident? People are crying. People, they had to carry people home into the cars to take them home. And yeah, my wife was saying that she never enjoyed the service. So knowing her and knowing better through trial and error, <laughs> I didn't express that which was on my heart. So I said to her, tell me about it. How come you didn't enjoy the meeting? And then she said this. Nobody came to make me feel welcome. Nobody came to make me feel welcome. That's when the emphasis of my ministry changed from signs and wonders and the spectacular. Because I realized that the horizontal dimension with God. God can satisfy certain needs, but there are certain needs that can only be met and be satisfied by the person that will reach out and touch you. So I started to change, and then I started to look to see if this is the truth. And then I, I, I looked at certain men of God and spoke to several guys, and uh, I began to share this, what I'm sharing with you. I went to visit a great man. He's one of the great men in Africa. He's like the Billy Graham of, of Africa. Has had tremendous meetings, got a huge compound. I went to visit him. 
in my development, I wanted to be like him. I said, if I can reach that goal, I'll be satisfied. I mean, this guy has written books and he's had conferences, Pan-African conferences, South African conferences, speaking to government leaders, etc., etc., etc. His name is a household name. But when I went to visit with him, and uh, he began to pour his heart out to me. And he began to say, John, please come visit again. He said, I have this challenge, I have this challenge, I have this challenge. And when I looked at the man, I could not quite believe what I was hearing. Because here was a man at the pinnacle of success from a, from a spectator's point of view. And yet he had no friends. I remember giving a lady a lift from the compound into town. And for the first time, I realized when I got into town and I opened the door for her to jump out, and she said to me, I, I realized that I didn't even speak to her. I was so taken aback by this experience that he has this man that is celebrated, and yet he's got no friends. And then I would preach at another church, and Pastor Wayne knows the man who's minister at his church down in Durban in Chatsworth, and I preached for him, and when I got to his church, he, he told me, took me to the, the office, and he said, told me his numbers, he's running a church of 3,000. He told me his workforce was bigger than my church. He said, I've got 314 workers in the church. We're reaching out to the hospital, we're reaching out here, we're reaching out there, we're reaching out there. He had buses running, I said, wow. So I felt kind of small, but I shared the same message that I'm sharing here from a different angle, and I shared, I said, my priorities changed from the supernatural to relationship. And the guy got up, and he started crying before the whole church. He said, I've got a church of 3,000 people, but I've got not one friend. So I began to share this in different places where I had the opportunity as the Lord led. <clears throat> I was up in Canada several, about 10 years ago, and I was sharing at the minister's meeting, and, and an elderly man came to me and he said to me, John, I should have heard this truth years later. I'm retired now. I retired, I was, I was an efficient minister but I realized that my priorities were slightly out of kilter because I don't have any friends. I was with a multi-millionaire in a city called Port Elizabeth in Cape Town, near Cape Town, walking with him on the beach, just, just chatting, just fellowshipping. And then he began to open up his heart to me and I, I, it came unexpected and he said to me, he said, how do I know who's my real friends? Who's just associating with me because of what they can get out of me? You know, as I walked with that man with nothing in my pocket, I felt richer than he was. Because in spite of the money that he got in the bank, he was a poor man as far as relationships was concerned. Relationships is the greatest thing that we can aspire for. So with my quest and 
looking into this thing about relationships, I said, let me get a scriptural background. And let's start with God. Does God have a desire for relationships? Is this not a, uh, a God thing? It's not a carnal thing. It's not a, just a human thing. It was God's idea to create man in his own image. It was God's idea to visit him in the cool of the day. We can never tell how anticipated God was, how he was, how he was looking forward to those times of interaction with his man as he would walk the garden. We don't know. We may be able to understand somewhat of that when we get into eternity. But I believe that God was looking forward to fellowshipping with his man. Angels must have been watching this, this sight uh, in awe to say, how can the, the, the great creator go and have fellowship with his man? And we only can understand a little when Adam sinned, how it must have broken the heart of God. When relationships were severed, how it broke his heart. That is why in anticipation of that, of that cleavage, he, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the world. If something goes wrong in the relationship, I'm prepared to do something that will be able to restore the man back to relationship with me. And so in the Bible I read that God wanted to have meaningful relationships with mankind. Not just casual, not like a big Santa Claus, whenever we in need, we come to him. No, uh, he, wants to, he wants us to have a relationship. He wants us to, to understand the value of intimacy with him. And so the Bible tells me he found a man in the name of Abraham. He calls him from Ur of the Chaldees, out of heathen darkness. Because the Bible says his father was an idol worshiper. He brings him as he reveals himself and he develops the relationship. He develops the relationship until in two portions of scripture, it is recorded that Abraham was the friend of God. Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 20. The Bible says when Jehoshaphat is praying, he said, he's praying and he's pleading to God because of the invasion that's, that's looming on the horizon. He said, Lord, will you remember your friend, Abraham? And then in James chapter 2, it says, James picks up this theme again. He says, Abraham, the friend of God. Is it possible that man can have that kind of relationship that God calls him, he's my friend. The Bible says, Exodus chapter 33 says that, and Moses spake with God as a man speaks face to face, as a man will speak to his friend. So I see that in, in God in the Old Testament, he is wanting meaningful relationships. And then I'm introduced to the word who became flesh, and his name is Jesus. And he too, he goes on his mission, coming out of the Jordan, he goes, led by the Holy Ghost, and he calls different men, and he says, follow me, follow me, follow me. Those guys are uncouth, those guys are hard, those guys are, are, are rough and rugged, they're fishermen, some of them are zealots, but he calls them, and then he disciples them. 
He trains them. He, 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 he gets those rough edges smooth and he, and he knocks off and sandpapers them and they become his disciples. Then the Bible says he, he, he ordained them apostles. Now watch this. First they are sinners and then they are disciples and then they are apostles. And then in John chapter 15, he says, I no more call you servants. I now call you friends. There are different types of relationships. There are different dimensions to relationships. At what level are you prepared to stop? He says, because the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I will tell you all things because you are my friends. I see that even Jesus had a desire for genuine relationships that even his relationship with his father could not satisfy. And one of those disciples got so close to him that he allowed him to lay his head on his bosom. Hallelujah. Jesus never said no. He allowed him to do that. And when Mary and Martha were troubled by their brother's sickness, they sent to Jesus and they said to him, your friend... Lazarus is calling for you. The Bible tells me that the, that blessing that we're pronouncing that's taken from uh, 1 Corinthians, may the communion of the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with you. In some churches it's done. That word means fellowship and friendship. Do we develop that relationship and friendship with the Holy Ghost to where he can call us his friend. Hallelujah. And so I see from the word of God that this desire for meaningful relationships is in the heart of God. So I need friends. I've realized a long time ago that I'm not an island. No man is an island. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But there are so many fair-weathered friends. What is a genuine friend? And all of us have had fair-weathered friends. When the storm began to rage, they, they flew the coop. They were nowhere to be found. But what is a genuine friend? We have to look again at the word of God. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, and there's lots of this in the book of Proverbs, the Bible says in Proverbs, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend and a fellowship of friends is like the safety net. Listen, it's like a safety net when you're in a high trapeze and you're the high walking the high water, the wire by faith. And should you slip and fall, it's good to know that you have a safety net. I need friends around me if I make a mistake that they will not condone what I've done but they won't condemn me. Amen. They will say, brother, get up. The righteous fall seven times. Get up. And they will reach out and help me by the hand to help me up. Hallelujah. Faithful are the wounds of... I don't want a whole lot of yes men around me. Amen. I want somebody that would love me enough that would hurt me to heal me. Like a surgeon. He's not a butcher. He's my friend. He's not a butcher. 
A butcher takes that meat cleavage and he's just going to cut that meat up. He doesn't, he's not going to be precise. Maybe after a number of years, he can become a little bit more uh, precise. But a surgeon takes a scalpel and he knows that I've got a tumor on the inside and he will take that scalpel and he will cut it in such a way that he will hurt me, but he will remove the tumor that's going to kill me. All of us need friends like that. You know, sometimes we can become so diplomatic, you know. We don't want to offend. Now, if I can use this example, uh, if Matt comes to me and I've got a little something in my nose, uh, he won't tell me. You know, he won't tell me. He'll take out his hanky and he'll rub his nose and he'll do everything but to try and get my attention that I might see. He doesn't want to, to but you know, if he doesn't tell me, I'm going to walk down the road and 10 other people are going to see the little boo-boo on my nose. <laughs> so if he loves me, he will bring it to my attention that I might make the adjustment, that I'll be spared the embarrassment. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I need somebody that will love me. And even though he hurts me, I know that that guy loves me. And he has my interest at heart. Somebody said amen. amen. I was looking for somebody like that. And I didn't realize I had it right next to me. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. The Bible says <clears throat> about a friend. The Bible says in the book of John, it says the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom rejoices. <laughs> At the, for the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom rejoices. You know how I know if people rejoice when somebody else has the spotlight on them? Now just follow me. If uh, a young man comes in off the street and he gets saved and he's got an anointing to lead worship or to preach and to exhort and the spotlight's upon him. You know the people will either say yes but... Uh, he was a little bit too long there or else he was a bit rough there. He, he needs to have some more theology, this and that. But a friend will rejoice. <laughs> but all the mistakes there, a friend will rejoice. The spotlight's on somebody else. Can you rejoice at somebody else's success? Can you rejoice at somebody else's promotion? Especially if you are in line for the promotion. Whoa. Careful now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible says about a friend, Luke chapter 11, the word of God says that uh, it's midnight and this guy has unexpected guests. And so he could tell, tell his uh, guests, he said, listen, you'll have to wait until tomorrow morning. I'll, I'll rustle you up some breakfast. It's a bit late now. You came in unexpected. And those guys would have accepted it. But no, he says, you my guests. I want to do something about it. So he goes down to the neighbor and he knocks on the door. And the word of God says, because it's his, he's his neighbor, he's prepared to be inconvenienced at midnight. When my brother, my sister, has a challenge at their midnight hour, does my name come to them? Will they go to the phone and say, I need somebody to help me? Can I call him? Who do they turn to? This is the kind of community we have to develop in. 
that I'm, I don't switch my phone off because it's inconvenience. If I'm not prepared to be inconvenienced for my brother, then my relationship is at the lower level. Somebody said amen. The children are asleep, but he heard the voice of his neighbor and he says, I will get up and I will give him enough and he can settle the account later. Hallelujah. We need a new baptism of genuine agape throughout the body of Christ. The Bible says if you compare yourselves amongst yourselves, you devour yourselves. Are ye not carnal? We need to esteem the other better than ourselves. Hallelujah. Amen. And so there are many things that you read in the Proverbs that can highlight what the true friend is all about. If you're not prepared to be inconvenienced, I don't think you'll be able to go to the next level. And that is where Jesus says, greater love had no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. I want to be part of a company of people that I know that if push comes to the shove, we will sink together or we will rise together. I will, I'm prepared to lay down my life for him, knowing that he will lay down his life for me. Hallelujah. I pray that the first item on your agenda might be the hallmark of this church. That as you're reaching out to the community, you're going to meet all sorts. You're going to meet the good, the bad, and the ugly. But one thing I know, they may not be able to understand my theology, but they can't, they will be able to understand my love. Hallelujah. And you know, people know if you are speaking from here or if you're speaking from here. Hallelujah. And if we're going to make an impact on the community, we have to move from here to here and speak to them in love. Because the Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? We love the brethren. We are friends of the brethren. Somebody said amen. Amen. You know, I think... Mel Gibson did a tremendous work with the passion of the Christ. Tremendous. It's, I use it so many times to try and capture what our Lord went through. But one thing he did not capture, and that was the emotional the crushing of his soul. I wonder you, what... Jesus must have gone through. When they're in the garden after praying for those hours, his perspiration turned to droplets of blood. Then he hears the sound and he causes the disciples, he says, guys, get up there, yeah. Then he sees the guy that walked with him for three and a half years. The man embraces him and says, friend. 
And Jesus says to him, do you betray me with a kiss? That wounding, it's so deep and so bad. No movie director can capture that. What Jesus went through and his own familiar friend, fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 47, my own familiar friend that did eat bread with me, has lifted up his heel to crush me. To be betrayed by a friend, that's bad. I trust that that will never be part of this house. Somebody said amen. Hallelujah. So, I want to pray for you that you would, what you have, you would guard and develop. You have it, guard it, treasure it. Don't take people for granted. Don't become familiar. The challenge with friends is when they become too familiar and it's, you know, casual joking and all that causes that relationship to be uh, severed. Treasure your friends. Treasure fellowship. Treasure one another in the name of Jesus. So I'm believing God for a revival for the door. Signs and wonders. Proclamation of the word. All those other things. But above all, a revival of love. Now, where's the revival going to start? The Bible says, he that wants to win friends must first become friendly. It starts with you. It starts with you. God bless you.